Now you What's come to Jesus and your life is going to be miserable because <laughs> there is a cost. Now that's false. That's what I call cheap gospel. When you come to Jesus, all your problems will be solved. That's just not true. The Profile with Premier Christianity magazine. You are listening to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That is the UK's leading Christian magazine. And this month we have published an interview with Michael Youssef. He's an evangelist, international speaker, and he's on a mission to see a million souls saved. He also has some strong views on politics, the church, and lots more. You can read it in the latest issue. Subscribe right now at premierchristianity.com. And now today on the show, you're going to hear that interview in full. He was speaking to Premier Christian Radio's Esther Hyam on location in London. And he's speaking ahead of a big 20 years celebration of his ministry leading the way. 20 years of ministry here in the UK. So leading the way will be live in London next month, Saturday, 8th of October at Methodist Central Hall in Westminster. Esther Hyam will be there as well as Reverend Dr. R.T. Kendall, Noel Robinson and band, Noel Tradinick from Prom Praise and many other guests celebrating Michael Youssef's ministry, leading the way 20 years of ministry. You'll hear a little bit about that in this upcoming interview, plus loads of other discussion on a whole range of topics. Really hope you enjoy it. So without any further ado, this is Esther Heim in conversation with Dr. Michael Youssef. So we are uh, in London. Yes. On the hottest day of the year. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Isn't that? It's uh, great to have uh, you here. Thank you. What do you sense, what do you sense of the spiritual temperature of the UK right now? Uh, it gets cooler every time I come here. Uh, and I think we're basically facing the same issues in the whole Western world with the rise of this woke movement. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it, the, the noise uh, is impacting everybody and impacting many churches. Instead of uh, having a proper biblical discussion on these issues, we uh, just talk about them in, in the loudest uh, of voices and unfortunately um, it's affecting the spiritual temperature of the believers, at least in the States. And I, no I notice every time I come here and the kind of the spiritual temperature gets lowered and lowered and lowered because of those loud noises and uh, trying to divert our attention from the gospel. So it's really interesting that you use the word woke because yeah. it's one that's in the, in the, the media, in yes. the social media. Some Christians would say, listen, this is great. This is a chance to look at injustices, yeah. uh, racial justice in particular, but uh, gender injustice as well. Yeah. There, is a, there is a call to be just as Christians. So what's the problem with the, with the movement per Well, se? because it's a false movement. It's based on lie. That the two people who founded the Black Lives Matter in America, for example, they shaken down corporations and raised a hundred million dollars and each of them went out and bought a six million dollar home so there's a lot of skullduggery and and when you dig deeper into it they use a beautiful word i'm an african so i can understand black lives matter it's a magnificent word but they really don't care about blacks they just want to stir up the trouble and the whole thing comes out of a, a marxist book by a professor named Howard Zinn 
And he started this whole thing in the 60s, and this book is being taught in many colleges in the United States. And he said, because Marxist uh, movement based on a Kierkegaard philosophy where he says you got to create a division in society between the proletariat and the public, and there you keep hammering away until society collapses, and then you build the utopia, the communist Marxist utopia. So in his book, he said, well, basically, and I've written about this in my book called Hope for This Present Crisis. Uh, he said, well, we can't do that in America because everybody in America says, I may be poor, but one day I'll be rich. So he said, we cannot do it between the poor and the rich. We can't create a division there. So we've got to create it between blacks and whites. We've got to create it between men and women. And we got, but we've got to create a crisis so that ultimately society would collapse and then we build a Marxist utopia. So when you understand the philosophy behind it, I mean, in the face of it, yeah, of course, justice. I'm reading in my daily, daily Bible, uh, God loves justice. Justice is great. But they're going to go back 200 years and talk about slavery. Well, they don't have slavery in, in America. There's no such thing. I mean, now has been decades. And so many of my African-American friends who are deeply rooted in the, Afri in the civil rights movement, they are most angry of, of all because they just say, they know it's a false premise. So what's a good Christian response then? Because there is, you know, there is a cry for justice across all sorts of kinds of, of, of as you say, disparities, some, some which may be being yeah. um, you know, whipped up. What's the Christian response? What's the Christian response? The Christian response is to know where there is injustice, you deal with it. You don't make a lot of noise about it. But when you see it, and we are, of course, stewards. God created us to be stewards of the earth, be stewards uh, of, of everything that he hands in, uh, gives to our hands. And, and that's what really, so we, we'll, we'll, let's get down from theories and noises and demonstrations and shaking down corporations to get money out of them, which that's what all these movements, Antifa and BLM and all these movements, and, and I'm, you know, what I'm saying to you, I've said in public and in writing, and nobody has ever been disputing what I'm, what I'm saying. And, and now it's coming clear in the media that these people who started these movements are not really, they're, they're very disingenuous. They're not true. They, they're telling lies in order to enrich themselves. It's just like the Soviet Union when, when they were 1990, where they had the 17, where they had the Bolshevik Revolution. So, oh, this is great, it's going to be justice, all the rich people are not going to be... But what happened, they created their own class of rich ruling elite and everybody else was suffering. And this is what's going to happen. The elite is going to be in charge and they're the ones who are going to be the ruling class and everybody else will suffer. But there is a, 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 a biblical, biblical justice and that is for the those who are well, it's in First Timothy chapter 6, the command, Paul did not ask him urge, he said command the rich of this world to not to be arrogant with the riches, but to share their wealth. And so there is a biblical injunction for us who to have compassion and to exercise but what they're doing, see, this is where the, 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 what grieves me is that they're getting swept away with falsehoods because that 
these groups of people, including left-wing governments, they basically want to make the government replace the church. See, the church has the responsibility to take care of the poor, minister to the needy, and exercise justice. That's the work of the Church of Jesus Christ. How do you replace the church? By government. Government always evil. All governments, and I'm talking about of all forms, because governments by their nature, I mean, look what the government did uh, 2,000 years ago, executed and killed the only sinless God-man ever walked the earth. That's what government did. Pontius Pilate and the cronies, they crucified Jesus. Governments does not exercise justice. They don't know because they're evil in their hearts. Only those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, those who love the Lord Jesus, will truly exercise true justice and true freedom and true uh, ministering to the poor. So what's your call to the church in the UK then, based on what you just said? Sure. Don't allow any group of people, whether it be denominations as an institution, that you, the local church, ought to take the responsibility. We're going to feed the hungry. We're going to close the naked. We're going to minister to the poor because that's our call. It's part of being salt and light. It's not something that uh, uh, we have to gin up. This is part of who we are. That's part of our calling as stewards. And, and so that's the mission and the ministry and the message that ought to be preached from every pulpit. Uh, not to join with pagan people and say, well, you know, because they're talking about justice, that means they're good. No, they're not. They're evil. <laughs> they lie. And you go and dig deeper to their lives and their style and their websites and what they say. I mean, the, the founders of some of those movements are saying, we want to destroy marriage in Western civilization because marriage is a problem. They want the children from the age of five to be indoctrinated in schools and in, in, uh, on, on all issues of sexuality. Five-year-olds, I have 11 grandchildren. <laughs> Five-year-olds, they don't want anything, but that's what they want. And they said the parents have no right to bring up their children. The school has the right to do it. And that ch parents are basically accused of child abuse if they instruct them in the Word of God. They, they call that child abuse. And see, this whole movement is, is not for the good. It's evil. And we need to call it for what it is, but not uh, throw the baby with the bathwater, but say, no, this is our responsibility. That's our call in our life, in our, in our church. We, uh, from day one, for 35 years, we take 20% of everything, and all the money that comes in, and we give it and minister to the homeless, to the, I mean, we do all kinds of 32 different ministries in the, in the city, in the country, and around the world, including leading the way. And so that is the call of the church. And we better not cede it or deed it to secular society, the people who do not know God and do not have respect for God. This is a, literally is going to be my Karelian, Karelian call uh, to the church worldwide particularly in the West, because we have fallen in this line, hook, and sinker. And we need to wake up and recognize our own responsibility. That along preaching the gospel, that we will minister to, the, to those who are in need.
When did this call start for you to really preach the gospel? Well, it started when I was 16 years old. Uh, and to be exact, March 4th, 1964. is uh, when the call of God, uh, when I gave my life to Christ and the call of God on my life, which uh, is, is something I rejected, I didn't want to do because I had, um, I had three older brothers and three older sisters and they were all extremely successful business, banking, and everything else, and I just didn't want to go to the ministry. And, uh, but I knew that uh, from the very beginning, uh, when my mother was uh, asked by three different doctors that she needed to abort me because her health will not sustain it, and then our pastor, pastor my parents' pastor came and said, don't go through with this because I feel he or she are going to serve the Lord. My mother was puzzled, but she was a godly woman. She loved the Lord, and she prayed, and uh, and so she took that as a word from the Lord, and she went through with the pregnancy. And I had the privilege uh, of knowing her for 16 years, that Lord spared her life after my birth, and, and known her to be uh, a prayer warrior who prayed for me, and prayed me literally into the kingdom. And I came to the Lord on March 4th, of 64, she died in July of that same year. And so she had basic, she kept saying, I have the joy of knowing that you have come to the Lord and that my risk was not for nothing. And, um, and that was just a, 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 a great anchor for me. Every time I'm tempted, I was tempted to do something else or go somewhere else or move in a different direction. And so uh, literally, um, Six years later, I found myself in seminary in Sydney, Australia. Did that feel like a heavy burden ever, thinking, oh, I've been saved for something. I just want to go off and earn some money. Oh, no, I've been saved for something. Did it ever feel like that for you? Uh, no, it wasn't a burden at all, because once, um, once I knew this was the will of God for me, uh, I've always said I want to obey, uh, and my whole life is summarized in a book that I wrote by demand from my congregation, it's called Trust and Obey, which is my biography. And, uh, and so, and even when the Lord brought radio ministry, and then later on a man walked into my office, a big television ministry, literally put it on my desk and said, God told me to give you my television ministry. And all these things that are happening in my life throughout this last uh, 55 years, and when I take time to, to just really pray about it, and it's not, and I always say, Lord, you know, it's not disobedience. It's, I mean, I want to be obedient, but I want to make sure it's you who wants me to do this, not selfish ambitions or just uh, human uh, improvision, uh, improvising. Uh, so, yeah, no, that's, no, that, obeying God is, is the greatest joy of my life. How do you keep that spiritual discipline? How do you keep yourself spiritually fit? Well, the most important thing, and this is a lesson I learned some years ago, I've written about it also, that when I started the Church of the Apostles, I came from a global ministry, I was the managing director of a global ministry, and God called me to plant this church of 28 adults when we started. And, um, and the first two, the first two and a half, almost three years, 
I was the only pastor of the church was doubling every year and so I was running, 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 running. And then I hit uh, the bed for two weeks, I couldn't even move. And uh, some my doctor friends wanted to put me in the hospital. I said, no, I know what's happening. God wants to talk to me. I want to hear. So for two weeks, I was listening. And uh, the Lord says, you cannot minister to people until you have ministered to me. And because, I mean, I'm getting up early and I go first appointment and breakfast. And then I have a, you know, all day appointments at lunch and dinner. And then I was running uh, haggard. And uh, so I basically said, Lord, what does that mean? To minister to you and from 1990 to 22 was that make it 32 years almost I literally can number the breakfast appointments that I gave and mostly on Saturday not during the week so what I did in the first first thing I did cancel all breakfast appointments, no early appointments so the first fruit of the day belongs to the Lord Time with his word, intimacy with God, not just talking, but listening. And so as I spend time with God, more in intimacy with God, I not only began to grow, but the things that used, used to take me two weeks to accomplish, I was accomplishing in two days. And kind of the Lord was proving to me that spending time with him, intimacy with him on a daily basis, the first fruit of the day. We always tell people tithe your money, but we also need to tithe our day, tithe our hours. And so when I began to spend time with God, with the Word of God open in front of me, and uh, listening as well as praying, uh, I found that, that ministry is no longer a burden, it's a joy, it's sort of can't wait, can't wait to wake up. I have not used an alarm in 32 years. The Lord just wakes me up, 4.30, I'm up, start uh, my time with Him. <clears throat> Two and a half hours later, then I look at things, you know, doing some work, emails and stuff. But that's, that's really the only way I tell pastors, um, say, I'm going to be 75 next, next, um, next year. I, you know, it's sort of, I've been around a long time. So I tell younger pastors, I said, look, uh, when you're going to meet Jesus, and we all will, uh, face to face, uh, you want to hear from him, well done. And as you notice how he said, well done, good and faithful servant, he didn't say much done. It's a very important point because a lot of the activists, you know, running around and running around, I said, I'm not going to tell Jesus how many books I've written or how many sermons I've preached, but how faithful I've been. And so it's well done, not much done. That's very important. And so I, I tell young pastors, without spending time, intimacy with God, all the effort, all the energy, you're going to spinning your wheels. And so many of them get burnt out very quickly. We have vast numbers, percentage is huge, of burnt out ministers. And, and walking out on ministry. So you've set a big vision for the next few years. On yeah. your 70th birthday, yeah. uh, four years ago now, you set a vision uh, for 2025 yeah. to see a million souls saved. Yes. What was, the, what was the impetus for that? When did God put that on your heart? Well, as um, I've, I've always kind of prayed and set goals, and I, 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 there's nothing against setting goals but I tell people, I set my goals on my knees. 
See, when you ask the Lord to tell you what goals that He wants you to accomplish, that way for the rest of the time, whatever the period of time is, if it's a year or five or seven, you are praying basically the will of God. You know, say, I want to accomplish these things. Here are the things I want to do. And then you kind of pray, God bless my plan. I'd rather go to God, get His plan, than uh, ask Him to help me obey it. And so when, uh, when I about to hit 70 and I was praying, um, I back up a little bit. When I turned 60, I was, um, I was about 45 to 50 pounds overweight. And uh, I was having my devotion one day and uh, the Lord brought me under conviction. Because when I'm praying in the mornings, yeah, sometimes I get words of encouragement from the Scripture. Sometimes I get words of rebuke from the Scripture. And I'm just open to whatever the Lord has to say from His Word. And so I, I sensed uh, that huge rebuke. So I said, Lord, help me. Because I, uh, I made a joke one time. And I said, you know, after 60, every year is a bonus. And that's a kind of a rationalization for me to overeat. And particularly eat the wrong food. And so when I came under conviction, I've changed and, and went uh, back um, uh, 09 when I was 61, lost all that weight, started working with a trainer, so I'm exercising, so I'm at 70. I got more energy than I've ever had, including my 40s and 50s. And uh, so I began to pray. I said, Lord, you spared me. Uh, so to, to, I never thought I could live to be 70. And so what do you need, what, what do you have for me to do? And that's when the vision was born. Seven things, seven years. And we have started in earnest. Um, we ran a, a, a spots on commercial televisions all over the United States, 26 different uh, outlets, where uh, it's only 30 second or 60 second spots, evangelistic and uh, they give an invitation and uh, send people to a website. And they're well, running on mainstream? Oh, Fox News, C I mean, even CNN is now putting some of them on. And uh, Fox Business, uh, all, all the, 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 the mainline uh, news cables. And, and uh, we have 200,000 people visited that website, findingtruepeace.com. And uh, we have a group of retired pastors who take the calls. Somebody wants to talk. And uh, they, between them, they've led over six to 7,000 people first decision for Christ. And this is just one of our uh, endeavors. Our Kingdom Sat, which is the dedicated Arabic-speaking channel in 195 million homes in the Arab world, North Africa, Middle East, uh, the, we have quadrupled the responses because we enlarged our program. And so from all over the world, we're seeing some amazing fruit. Do you get a sense of how many towards that one million? Well, I think I'll let uh, the guys in the office, uh, bean counters count. I just keep doing my part. And I said, you know what? I let God take responsibility for that. It was his plan, not mine anyway. I want to but, see one of those, you know, things, they do. They, outside they, the they do. They keep me, count. every now and again, they tell me. And I said, you know, I'll let you worry about that. I'm just going to come preaching. Because once I get focused, I can get distracted. So I, I, I stay on the gospel message. 
And what is it, I suppose this is a big theological question in a way, what does it mean to be saved? So if somebody, like say one of those six or 7,000 people right. um, on, on the website, they're hearing uh, an advert on, yeah. on Fox News or whatever, when they sign up and say, yeah, okay, I, I, I feel like I want to give my life to Jesus, what happens next? Is, is that enough? No, of course it isn't. You never have a baby born and you put him on the street and say, now, okay, now you're born, take care of yourself. No, we, in these retired, battery of retired pastors on, on, on phones, they find out where they are, what town they're from, and uh, the, we find a good Bible-believing church and we uh, send a note to that pastor and say, hey, this is a person who just prayed to receive Christ. Now it needs to be discipled. So they, uh, we, we hooked them up with local churches. I'm, being a pastor, I'm, I'm always for the local church. Uh, I used to say about evangelists, you know, they just come in and they preach and then they leave town. And, and so um, that's not me because I want to, as a pastor, I want to serve the church. And so we immediately try to have these people connected with a local church, regardless of where it is. We have a list of churches in just about every town in the United States who are Bible-believing churches so they can disciple them. And what is it, um, I mean, anybody who's listened to uh, some of your uh, broadcasts or read your books or, or read your articles will have a sense of this, but for those who maybe haven't, what is, what is the way you pitch, if that's the right word, mm -hmm. Jesus to people? Because it's very tempting to say, become a Christian, you'll have a great life, all will go oh, well. no, no, no. What's No, you what's come to Jesus and your life is going to be miserable because <laughs> there is a cost. Now, that's false. That's what I call cheap gospel. When you come to Jesus, all your problems will be solved. That's just not true. Uh, it wasn't true in my case. Certainly, it's not true in a lot of people that I know because there is a cost of discipleship. There is there's a price to pay, and uh, and and I tell people. And as a matter of fact, in in the Middle East and in North Africa, when a Muslim become a Christian and is baptized, the question is not like us in an average Baptist church where we said you know kind of you know you Jesus Christ is saving all yes and and dunk him. They would say, are you willing to suffer for Christ? Are you willing to die for Christ? Are you willing? I mean, just very serious stuff because there is a cost. Some of them, literally, when they come to Christ, that's why I, I, I'm thinking that we must be coming toward the, the end of time because here are these people coming to Christ by the tens of thousands in the Arab world and Indonesia at the cost of knowing that they're going to pay for with their life. Persecuted, they'll be kicked out of their homes and, and, and all of that. And, and then here in the West, we're having pastors, who, mega church pastors, who going through what they call deconstruction. That's turning their back on the Christian faith. <laughs> so it, it has to be something going to happen because either God is gathering his elect and brought bring from every corner of the globe. Uh, when people in the West who they have the, all the freedom in the world turning their back on Jesus and these people are dying for Jesus, you know, we've got to be coming to some eschatological event. At least this is my personal opinion. Not, I don't say that says the Lord. Hey, this is Sam. Really hope you're enjoying this conversation right here on the Profile Podcast today. Could you do me a favour right now? It will take you just two seconds to give us a rating and a review wherever you found this podcast. Just a couple of seconds to give us a rating is so, so helpful. It helps other people to discover the show as well. So if you could do that, we would so appreciate it. So do you think we're 
coming to the end times. Is that I'm, sense? I'm just thinking, you know, in, for just from a, a, a human point of view, and again, I don't say <laughs> this is from the Lord, uh, far be it from it, uh, for me to say that, but when, when I see this is happening, uh, I, I would just wonder, this is very unusual, you know, and, and I know that believers, that is what we call Muslim background believers, the people who came to Christ from Islam, and now, according to some intelligence, they're in, in, in the millions, but they're underground in, in many of these countries. But f back in the 80s and the 90s, they would say to me, because I go regularly to the Middle East, at least once, twice a year, and I would meet with different people, and they would say, we are praying for God to bring you persecution in the West, because until you experience persecution, you understand how sweet Jesus is to us. And uh, so obviously God answered their prayers. <laughs> now we're having persecution in, 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 in the West, in Western countries. Now, I'm a member of parliament in Finland. I'm sure you heard about this. She was taken uh, to court. And uh, Do you think the West has lost the right to, to preach the gospel? Well, no, we haven't lost the right because the right is from God, not, not, not from the government. And not... I mean, they will never stop me preaching, and if they want to go to prison, that's great. We'll be, uh, uh, I don't mean so much in the rights as in the legal right, but almost... Yeah, we yeah. lost our passion, of course. I mean, the zeal. I mean, so many pastors uh, turned their back on the faith. I mean, and if not completely what they call deconstruction, and I'm talking about tens of them, uh, every, literally every week there's some mega church pastor going through deconstruction. In fact... One mega church pastor from Maryland wanted to start a, a whole organization where to help other pastors to be to go through the construct that, that's basically become apostate, and he wanted to charge them four hundred and fifty dollars for the course until he was absolutely lambasted by even some of his uh, backsliders <laughs> that he kind of backed down. But this is yeah, it's it's very common. It's happening, and uh, so many pe pastors can't take the heat. So they basically compromise. And so back to your big vision, uh, the vision that you feel God's sure. given you for the for 2025, one million uh, people saved. What, what's the other outworkings of, of that? I mean, of course, amazing to aim for a million people becoming Christians. What else do you see as part of that? There are seven things that we are doing to contribute to that. Um, doubling our uh, media uh, outlets. And as a matter of fact, uh, I was just... Uh, telling my colleague, Alan, uh, that uh, uh, CNBC, which is a financial channel in Europe, uh, that we're going to start broadcasting twice on Sunday morning. And we're going to reach a whole different group of people because business people watch CNBC, uh, the financial channel. And, and so we, 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 had, we just added 60, in the last two years, 60 new television stations in, in the U.S., as I said, we doubled all of our audiences in the Kingdom Sat. Uh, literally 27 million people on the average are coming into our channel or the social media of Kingdom Sat. And this is run by uh, uh, Arabic-speaking colleagues of mine. Uh, we brought them into Atlanta uh, and uh, we uh, broadcast, we started uh, in 2009 with four hours of fresh programmings a, a day, repeated six times. And uh, then we went to six hours repeated four times. Now we have 12 hours of fresh programming a day. Uh, 
they repeat it twice because at night time and so forth. So yeah, I mean, we are, we are constantly, and then of course we're starting something, we call it evangelistic uh, outreach, which I will personally go into a, a, a region or area uh, where the team that I just assembled together, the, all between them, they have a hundred uh, years of experience with the Billy Graham organization. And uh, we're starting, the first one is gonna be Hope for the Heart of Georgia. It's a very depressed area. So we're going to the city of Macon and, um, and, and, and basically the training of the counselors and the training for the disciples later is all of the work really. The preaching for that event uh, two nights are gonna be the smallest part. But nonetheless, we are making disciples in all this area. We're going to New England, uh, hopefully will be other cities in UK, Australia and the Middle East. And what's the effect gonna be on people who are believers already? The, the believers? Yes. Well, I pray to God that they'll be strengthened, but then also some of them are sitting on their blessed assurance in the pews of salvation in the church doing nothing. And they need to rise up and become disciples. They, they, they've been feeding, we've been feeding them for so long. They've been fed and, and receiving and receiving and receiving. And now my challenge, now my challenge for the believers is that you need to be ministering, you need to be serving, you need to be doing something, get out, uh, out of your comfort zone. So that, that's the hope for the believers. And you've been preaching more about uh, revival and spiritual awakening. You did yeah. one at the uh, Moody Center yeah. in, uh, in um, uh, New England. What does that look like? What would revival look like across the States and uh, the UK? Well, the problem sometimes in our language is that we confuse revival with an awakening. I had the singular privilege of sitting at the feet uh, of an Irishman by the name of J. Edwin Orr. J. Edwin Orr was living in California at the time in 77 and 78. He's probably the greatest single authority on the history of revivals. He's written many, many books. Anytime you see a book by J. Edwin Orr, read it. And, and, and he shows the difference between revival and awakening. Revival happens among the believers when they were stale and they just uh, indifferent and then the Holy Spirit within them is, is revived and they realize that we're sinning against God by our silence, by our inactivity, and they turn to the Lord with their heart and they become passionate about the gospel. That's a revival. An awakening is something that the Holy Spirit has to do, and that is uh, he will fall in, in an area where people are totally, uh, maybe even anti-God, and then open their spiritual eyes to realize their sin of rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they used to say about George Whitfield, before he even opened his mouth to preach, people were weeping and repenting. So that is an awakening. When the Holy, but the Holy Spirit has to do that. Of course, the Holy Spirit also involved in the revival, but the revival has to do with the conviction of the believers. Uh, about their lack of love for Jesus Christ and they turn and, and become really totally committed. Uh, but again... Uh, 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 Which one are you praying for? Uh, uh, both. Uh, I want to see both uh, because <clears throat> it's sometimes it's when the believers are revived that the Holy Spirit awakening comes. Um, if you look <clears throat> particularly in the United States, the, the, the history of the two great awakenings um, that there were, pro, there were believers 
who were convicted and repented and, and, and praying or praying, and then the awakening came. And so one gives rise to the other, not the other way around. So I would, I, I'm always, wherever I go, I'm challenging believers to uh, pray for a revival and that awakening would follow. Amen. It was it was a, it was a man by the name of Jeremiah Lamphere in 1717 uh, 17, uh, uh, forgive me 1875 in New York and he just put a little ad in the paper and then handed some bells in in the streets we're going to prayer meeting we're going to pray for a revival and uh, had a room with 11 seats first day one person came next day two three six and then 11 and and as they began to pray and uh, God moved uh, in response to their prayer. That literally covered the nation. They, they, they said New Jersey uh, was only 50,000 people who are not believers. And I mean, all the, all the statistics are there in the books uh, about, uh, for the history. So I'm aware of that history. And with that in mind, I'm praying specifically that God would revive the church so that a Holy Spirit awakening would follow. So what do you want? You're, 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 you're past the age when some people might retire. Yeah. But as you say, fitter and more energetic and sure. more urgent than ever. Yeah. When the, what do you want your legacy to be when, when you look back? Um, and already you know, God has done so much through you and your, your team. What, yeah. what do you want the, the, the mark of leading the way to have been? Uh, that we basically sought the Lord and His glory above everything else. The glory of Jesus is the most important thing for me personally, has been and intensifies with age. Uh, so many of my classmates from Sydney, where I went to school, in seminary, uh, they all retired a long time ago, 10 years ago, 65 retired. And I just don't know, I think I would go crazy if I retire because I, God gave me that passion, and I'm sure He has a reason for that. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you, you know, it's very interesting how when Habakkuk prayed for a revival, and the whole book is, is basically a prayer for a revival. And God said to him, He said, if you know what I'm doing or I'm going to do, it will make your ears uh, think, well... <laughs> Uh, uh, that's not what basically most people think that he's going to send a revival that it's going to be great things going to ha take place he said no he said I'm going to bring the Babylonians and they're going to do some terrible things and um, but then I will send a revival and sure enough 70 years later Nehemiah uh, starts a revival when they're returning from exile but Habakkuk, almost like, as I said, what did I do? Uh, you know, I was praying for a revival and almost demanding a revival from, from God. So God is saying, I want my glory first, not solve your social problems. And we have lots of them. A lot of people praying for a revival said, oh, if we have a revival, all these problems we're facing and the societal problems and the, this thing and the marriages and the, the divorce and... The, and um, abortion, all this will take care. I said, no, 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 no. You don't pray so the God sent the revival to solve our problems. You pray for revival so Jesus be glorified. You see, and Jesus said, when I'm lifted up, 
I draw men to myself, I, all men to myself, all people to myself, when I'm lifted up. And so I'm constantly going around saying, seek the glory of Jesus first, and he'll do the rest. So that's really, um, if, if, if I have a, a, something be put on my tombstone, is that he sought the glory of Jesus above all else. And we need to look ahead, don't we? Because we're also celebrating here in the UK the 20th anniversary yes. of leading the way in the UK. Uh, we talked about the spiritual temperature of the UK, but why is it, why is it precious to you as a, as a nation? I've always believed, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of product of the colonies. My wife is Australian, she's also a product of the colonies. Um, and you know, again, in this, uh, we talked about the walk culture and you know, colonial kind of gets a bad rap, but there's, they never talk about the good things that uh, the, the colonials have done. Sure, there were some bad things, nobody would deny that. Uh, but there's some good things. Um, they, uh, they uh, missionaries came on the back of, of, uh, of uh, on, on the back of colonists and they preached the gospel, people were saved, movement started. And so I'm, 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 I'm always grateful for what the Lord has done through England and in, in the UK because when you think about it, I'll give you one example. Uh, my colleague or my friend uh, Eric Metaxas, he's a well-known media personality, has done research, wrote a book on it, that without George Whitfield's preaching in New England, there would be no United States of America. That's absolute truth. And he documents it. He documents it. Uh, how and who and what, and the third time I'll tell you about it, but this, this is true. And so uh, we think of the Wesley brothers, you know, my parents were Wesleyans in Egypt. Uh, uh, when you think of uh, the reformers, Anglican reformers, that the church I was ordained in, I was ordained in the Church of England in Australia before they changed the name to Anglican. And uh, so th we think of Latimer, Redley, and Cranmer, and, and, and um, and uh, uh, Tyndale and, and, and those people who paid with their life to see the church reformed. And so, I'm, you know, there's this kind of a, a debt of gratitude. And, and uh, when I got invited 20 years ago to broadcast on Premier, I, I just met these two gentlemen at the National Religious Broadcasters, and they said, we're going to start a radio station, a Christian radio station uh, in, the, in London, and we want you to be on it. And so we went and prayed about it. So we, we, uh, we started uh, back then. And uh, of course, a lot happened since then. And we're going to be celebrating together at yes. the Central Hall. Yes. Uh, your friend Artie Kendall will be there. I'm going to be there. Good. Others from Premier as well. What are you most looking forward to about marking that moment? I think it's a gratitude to God, uh, above all, uh, for allowing us to have the privilege of ministering in the UK. When I get letters, and my colleague uh, Dr. Kirby gave me a letter from a lady in Scotland, just brought tears to my eyes. And you know, how God used the ministry to bless her life and uh, so on. And I get this all the time. And so this is gratitude to God. God did it. We just kind of went for the ride. <laughs> As you look back, best day and worst day of your ministry. Wow, that's interesting. Um, I always tell my congregation that my greatest uh, days uh, greatest times of growing in Christ are the times when I was broken. And so the times of brokenness, while we don't like it, nobody does, they really are great days. 
So if I look back at the worst days, they really are not worse. They're great. They're great days because they brought me to where I am. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those days. Doesn't feel like it when you're going through it, does it? No, of course not. None of us enjoy that. Nobody that masochistic. <laughs> but um, but knowing that, it gets you through uh, the the dark days. And and you know when nothing breaks the heart of a pastor then you see somebody who sat under the gospel ministry for so many years, and then they'll come and say to you, um, you're too strong for me. I'm gonna find me a church where they'll preach a softer message. Now, of course, that breaks the heart of a pastor, but in the end, they are responsible for their own walk. And, but those are tough times for me when, when that happens. Uh, but thank God I lived long enough that some of these people have come back literally with tears and they said how could I have left gospel preaching ministry and went there and uh, and so that gives me the greatest joy probably more than anything else I had a banker in with his wife in my office and literally and he, I kept saying to him I said look there's no use you know crying over spilled milk this has happened because I know also the circumstances. But now you're back, you're walking with the Lord, now you're involved in discipling others, so move on, don't, don't look back. But yeah, those are tough times for, for a pastor. There are subjects that you, that others would shy away from. We've covered some of that already, you know, sure. hell, sin, yeah. oh, those kind of things. Sure. Is the gospel hard? It is, absolutely it's hard. The gospel took Jesus to, to a bloody cross, you see. Of course, it's not the nice uh, wooden uh, polished, uh, it, it, it was a very bloodied place where his blood was shed. And, and, and the gospel is, 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 is hard because uh, it, it, it takes us to a cross. And the reason, at least in the States, they're trying to remove crosses from public eye is because the cross is, is a condemnation of my pride, that I can't save myself. How can I believe a, a man who died on that cross 2,000 years ago can save me? He's the only one who can save me. And that's why they want to reject it, because of what it resembles, what it's, it means. But the cross is, is, is very hard. It's very difficult. Uh, and, but when you, when, when you focus on it, you say, this is the Son of God. This is the only sinless man God ever lived, walked the earth. He, 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 he bled to death for me and for my sins. It's my sin that held him there, as the song would say. And, um, and so when you realize that, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to face your sinfulness. It, it's, it's tough to face your own failures and shortcomings. But then the greatest joy comes from saying, he covered it with his blood, and therefore I'm redeemed for all of eternity. And therefore, you know, at, at KT I'm preaching uh, uh, but I uh, might not want to say that, but I'm telling you now because, I mean, to me, when Jesus told the story of rich man and Lazarus, and they both went to two separate places, they're separated by a huge gulf, I said, always one minute, one minute in hell made that man to be an evangelist. Father Abraham, he cried, ask Lazarus to rise from the dead because I have five brothers. I don't want them to come to this agony. So who cannot preach on hell and tell people to escape it? And there is a way of escape, and that's the cross of Christ. 
And so I, I don't shy away from, from preaching the truth because in the end, I'm going to be accountable. I, I call it the audience of one, which we're all going to have it. So do you cringe slightly when other pastors might say, God wants to give you a great big hug? Oh, not cringe, I cry. I literally weep because it's, uh, it's falsehood. Uh, of course he wants to hug his children, but not hug a, a, a sinner and say, yes, yeah, stay in your sin, enjoy your sin, that's fine, it's okay by me. No, he, 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 he wants to hug his own children who have, re- who have repented and turned to him and received him as, sa- as Savior and Lord, of course. But to say, oh, God doesn't care how you live, whichever way you live, that, that is a heartbreaking and I don't cringe, but I, would rather, I, I, I sometimes weep. I'm a weeper, and, and I do weep. So you feel we don't get access to that intimacy with God until absolutely we've gone through that, gone through Jesus, gone through that moment of... Uh, absolutely. I mean, he says, I mean, there, there is no name under heaven by which men can be saved. And I go through the scripture. I can give you half a dozen uh, texts from the Word of God. He who seen me, seen the Father, who, who, you know, the, whom the Father gives me, and, and so on and on and on. Absolutely, without that life. I mean, we have preachers now selling 10 million copies of a book called Your Best Life Is Now. Well, if the best life is now, for the non-believer it is, but because the next one is going to be hell. But for the believer, this is not our best life, that's our worst life, because heaven is going to be the place in which we'll be spending eternity with Christ. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.